0: Amen. I want you just to turn around say hello to somebody and then be seated. Oh, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. Amen. Amen. How many of you believe that we're in a battle? Yes. Not only a physical battle, a fight to see that we have maintain that which was so graciously provided us, handed to us. I live in a country where everything was bought and paid for, but not in dollars. It was bought and paid for in blood. It was bought and paid for by those who were willing to shed their blood and put their lives on the line. We are, we are certainly on the battlefield. I'm very thankful that in recent days, our president has seen fit to strike up treaties so that it's less of a tinderbox in the Middle East than it has been previously. And everybody here ought to thank God for that progress. I only pray that it can continue. Amen? Amen. Amen. And somebody today might say, preacher, how come we're not draped in black? How come we're not just bemoaning and weeping and crying over the circumstances as they are. First of all, God is still on the throne. Secondly, prayer still works. But let me illustrate the situation we're in right now. And I hope everybody's listening and take good notes and be sure to spread it far and wide. Situation and experience that I had back in 1983. Some of you weren't even born then. I was the assistant to my father in a Southern California church. We had a good church. We ran buses all over the desert. People got saved every single week. We had baptisms. It was fantastic. In addition to being the assistant pastor, I led the Christian school. And with that comes a lot of other hats. And one of the hats I wore was coach. I was the coach of the football team. I inherited a football team which had won a grand total of two victories the previous season while losing eight. And And I said, wow. And that's that something? I said, yeah, that's the most victories we've had in a long time. And I said, that can change. That can change. Now, I know sports are just sports. Listen up. I know that athletics are for a purpose and they have their place. But as coach, we aggressively turned the team around. And by that season, we went undefeated, 11-0 in our regular season. 11 victories. You know how hard it is to get 11 victories on a football field? Very difficult. But we coached them, they responded, and they won. And so it fell to us to go and play for the league championship. There were two sides, two divisions. Our division, we won. The division on the other side, that team had barely ever lost a game, ever. We were on the comeback trail. We had, we had uh, like the Phoenix Bird, come up out of the ashes, and we were going to play them who hardly ever lost. We played another undefeated team for the Christian League Championship. It was on their field. It was with their refs. We jumped out to a lead. We pulled out our best play. This play we won one time. A game. we hope they hadn't had anybody scouting us because it was the deceptive play, and we always scored. We ran that play, and sure enough, 80 yards from scrimmage. Put the ball down in the end zone, but back on the field, the thing that you never want to see lying on the field, a flag. They brought it all the way back. Listen up now. They brought it all the way back to scrimmage. And I said, what's the problem, ref? What's the problem? And he said, offensive man off sides in the zone. I said, wait a minute. Who was it? Give me the number. He said, I don't have to give you the number. That may or may not be true. He didn't give me the number. He said, blow the whistle. Let's get back to playing. Turned around. Momentum turned around. We ran out of time. We were driving. We lost by one score. Lost the championship. The only defeat that year. It bothered me. Can you tell it bothers me a little bit right now? It bothered me. It really bothered me then. As we were walking off the field, some of our boys were saying, cheaters, cheaters. Fixes and cheaters, cheaters. You know how kids talk. And what I said... Kids, don't talk that way. Guys, don't talk that way. I let's take it back. Let's take it back home. Let's take it back home and deal with it. Went back home. But it bothered me. So much so that I didn't sleep that night. The next day, I called the pastor of the church where the Christian school was. And I didn't call to complain because, you know what? Whiners and complainers hardly ever get anywhere. I just, I just want you to know how I feel. And he said something to me I'm not ever going to forget. I'm not going to forget this as long as I live. He said, Brother Winnegar, I've been exactly where you are today. I've sat exactly where you sat. I didn't feel that it was fair. I felt that it was cheating. I felt that it was ineffective or unfair. And he said, I have learned to take the good and the bad. I've learned to take the right and that which is not right. And he said, the best thing you and your players can do is to grow from this. And you know what we did with that? Tony, you know exactly what I did with it. It was 1983. Guess what happened in 1984? 11 wins in the regular season. Went out to face those guys. And guess who won? Now, you can sit and cry and moan and complain and you'll be worthless to yourself yourself and everybody else, and to God's purposes on this good earth and this good land of ours. How do I feel right now? I slept last night. <laughs> and there'll be another championship. I don't know how this one is going to play out, but God is still in charge, regardless of what you think. Don't ever forget it. Don't lose hope. Don't start blaming God because that's that's the difference between a winner and a loser. The difference between a winner and a loser is you always give God the glory as a winner. Give God the glory. Amen. Good times, bad times, whatever times, give God the glory. This old vet knows about that. He knows to give the glory where it's due. We salute our brave veterans today and thank God for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard, and all of their faithfulness in serving and doing what is so important as far as our national health and the international peace is concerned. On the front of your bulletin, we have a portion of a verse. That verse is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we're going to be today, and so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles... To that part of the Bible. 1 Samuel and chapter 17. The portion of the verse that is on the front of the bulletin says, Not with sword and spear. Not with sword and spear. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. This is not a condemnation of the sword and spear, this is not a condemnation of the weapon. This is not a condemnation of that which must be employed in order to successfully maintain the peace through strength. Let me say that again. I believe in the principle of maintaining the peace through strength. That's why we need a strong, good, effective military. That's why we need a strong, good, fair, effective police force. That's why we need people who are godly and who believe in the virtues of this flag of this great republic of ours, and while there will always be those who are rogue military and rogue uh, police and officers, we understand that's going to happen, but we believe this. We believe in the larger picture that God is a God of order, and He has established in our nation a good thing of principles, of things that are based upon the Word of God, and those are worth defending. Those battles are worth fighting, and those hills are worth dying on. As a believer, we stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil every day. Yesterday, I taught from Genesis 18 and 19. You can dial it up on YouTube. You'll find it in Bible Institute session 1503, 1503. You need to watch it. You will see What I experienced. I walked to the back after we were done filming a couple of hours worth. And I said to Brother Tyler, what was that? And he asked me what I was experiencing. I didn't see any manifestations. But boy, I sensed the presence of the demonic in this place. I didn't count heads. I don't know that there were a thousand demons. But it sure felt like there were a thousand demons. And the reason is... Satan hates everything that's good and godly Satan hates to be exposed just like crooks and criminals hate the light They hate to be exposed but exposure is what Satan got yesterday as I taught from chapter 18 of Genesis I taught on the principled family you need to listen to it You need to take notes in chapter 19. We saw the perverse family Every approach that I made to the scriptures was as Jesus Christ himself would teach those scriptures. It was loving. It was with a heart of compassion. It was with a desire for people to come to God. Those that are perverse, those that are twisted, those that are out of line with the Word of God. I want them to be saved. I want them to be right with God. I want them to have the blessings of God. Before I'm through, before my race is run, before my time is done, I want everybody within the sound of my voice to know that there is a Savior who saves, he keeps and He satisfies, and whatever you got, it's only a portion of what God wants to give you if you put Jesus Christ first place in your life. And we're not talking about physical swords and spears and physical weapons, even though the Scripture says that the Lord is the one, He's a man of war, and He teaches our hands to war. We know not to depend on these particular means instead of. Dependence on the Lord Himself. We've seen YouTube videos of some of America's finest worshiping God, praising the Lord. I'm telling you, those that are on the front lines, those that are ready to go out to battle, you know that in those places, in those times, under tremendous pressure, those who have not yet come to God many times will come to God through Christ. I hear about those over in the Middle East over the past several decades who've gotten saved and chaplains have baptized in 55-gallon drums of water. People have gone down into the water and come out to profess that they have died to their old self-willed way of living and they've given it all to Jesus. And then they go out and put it all on the line and some of them don't come back. They go from the preaching service and the baptizing service out to face it on the line and they'll they'll take a bullet or they'll take a bomb and they'll go on to glory from that place. And they don't go to heaven just because they were a good American or a good soldier. They go to heaven because they received Christ as Savior. It's not with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. That's it. That's it. I've got a number of books in my library that have to do with the metaphor that we find so often in the Bible of the military. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God. This morning I got a a lot of text, but I got a great text from Norris. Thank you, Norris. He said, Preacher, we pray for you all the time. We watch you every day. Put on the whole armor of God. Well, I want you to know we put on each piece with prayer. Thank God for the shield. Thank God for the helmet. Thank God for the breastplate. Thank God for that belt girds us about. Thank God for the shoes that are shod, the preparation of the gospel. Praise the Lord for all the protection. And if you look at the armor as it would appear on a soldier of that day, you you notice that the back is not covered, so there's no retreat. There's no going back. Go forward. Today, I don't care who you are, what you've gone through. By the grace of God and for His glory, you can go forward. Keep on going. Say, my family isn't what it ought to be. Give it to God. Let Him take the pieces. Put it back together. My relationship isn't what it ought to be. Then let God take the pieces and put it together the right way. My my work schedule is all messed up. My job is all messed up. Give it to Jesus. Let him make you a witness on the job. Or let him give you a better job. But you just keep going forward. You just keep being faithful. Don't give up. Don't stop. Oh, my finances are all messed up. Don't you know that he owns all the gold? He owns all the silver? Don't you know he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills? Don't you know that God's got it all? Absolutely does. Don't you worry about it. He's promised to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. We just keep going forward. Keep going forward. That's it. We're not going to stop. I love Jesus, but I can't say that without saying I hate the devil. The whole preacher, the kids say, you shouldn't hate anybody. If you were taught that, let me just correct you. It's not wrong to hate the devil. It's not wrong to hate sin. It's not wrong to hate wrongdoing. We We should hate it when we don't do our very best. Those are things that are hateful. And I'll tell you who the author of all that is, Satan himself. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. He's a cheater. He's a fraud. So if anything spills out in our circumstances, that's where it came from. It came from the lake of fire. It came from the pit of hell. But you know what? This is nothing new. Listen to me. This is nothing new. This old world has been plagued by the presence of Satan since he and one-third of the angels were cast out of glory. And they've been inhabiting the atmosphere of this world. But we have have authority. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority. So who's stronger, God or the devil? Well, God is. Because God is all-powerful and the devil is not. The devil has some power. He's got great power, but he doesn't have all power. And he knows that his days are limited. And one of these days, he's going to be finished once and for all. And when that happens, we'll be in the front row. When Satan gets cast into the lake of fire, I'm going to lead a cheering squad. Amen! Amen! That's it! Because he is destroyed at that point. So many lives, so many families, cause so many heartaches. Your burdens, your problems aren't because God's not fair. Your burdens and your heartaches are because of the devil. We're at war. It's a spiritual battle. We're at war. Thank you, Attorney David Gibbs II, and your legal alert for September 2020. In it, He asks the question, where is your faith founded? He's got a Bible there open. He's got a prayer checklist. All of these different subjects. But a question right here. Is your faith in America or is your faith in God? Whoa! I believe in God. I believe in God. Now, I also am glad to say, I have great faith in those who have faith. I have great faith in those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But if people are trusting in the strength of America alone, they've got their faith misplaced. I always like to identify with the metaphors of the military because they parallel the battles that we're all involved in. My Uncle Milton went off to World War II. He's now in heaven. But in World War II, he went to a place called New Guinea. How many of you know where New Guinea is? If you wanted to choose a place to go, it would not be New Guinea. Out there in the mud and the jungles with every kind of thing. And guess what job my Uncle Milton had? He was a medic. That means that he would be in the line of fire, and he would be all around disease and every kind of wicked thing that could go on that could hurt you, take your life. And he was there. He was a Christian. He was a believer when he went off to war. I remember being told the story. I wasn't there when it happened, but my mother told me the story how his godly parents, Alfred and Ingeborg Jacobson, in Oldham, South Dakota, knelt alongside their son, laid hands on him and said, Lord, keep our boys, boys safe and bring him back to us, but keep him pure. He came back pure. When he was there, every American GI was issued cigarettes in those days. He didn't smoke. He'd trade those cigarettes to the women in the surrounding area who would do his wash for him. So he used that as a commodity, paid for it. I never got into the moral discussion or the ethical dilemma of giving people cigarettes, but he didn't smoke them. Because he had a praying mom and dad back there say, keep our boy pure. The other men at night would get their hands on some G.I. beer. He went to his tent. Instead of G.I. Beer, he read his Bible. He had a, a Bible that was issued to him. Wore it in his pocket. That pocket and that uncle of mine came back from war. Yeah, he left some things out there and he brought some things back with him. That's true. He saw some things that he would never talk about. But when it came time for him to hang it up, some of those shirts. Now, I cannot figure this out. Maybe somebody can help me. Any army people here? Would you explain to me why they gave woolen shirts to army personnel in New Guinea? The tropics? But he had several woolen shirts. I inherited those. And I wore them in winter time, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And I was proud to wear it. This is my uncle's shirt. This is from World War II. He was a medic. He was out there, and sometimes they would give a sidearm to a medic, but not always. Out there in the line of fire. And what made him and exemplified him as a good soldier of the United States of America was that he had the right heart towards what he was assigned to do. Boys and girls, listen to me. Right now your job is to be the best believing, born again boy or girl that you can possibly be. Your job right now is not to make family decisions. Your job is to obey your parents in the Lord. That's what the scripture says. Your job right now is to be the best student in school, whether you're going to school or part-time going to school or doing virtual school or homeschool, whatever you're doing, your job is to be the best in school that you can be for the glory of God. That's your job. Whatever your parents or those in authority tell you, you should obey in the Lord. That's your job. And when you know what your job is and you do your job, the Lord will reward you accordingly. But I want to be in charge. I want to be dad. I want to be mom. I want to be the person who makes the decision. No, they've got that responsibility. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, workers, adults, all across this building, your job is to be who you are, to be the very best that you can be by the grace of God and for his glory. It's not your job to be a child. Now, adults who act like children and children who act like adults are going to find that they're going to be a casualty in this spiritual war. We're standing up for spiritual principles in a mature, godly fashion. We're going to continue to do that, putting one foot in front of another. We're going to stand up for Jesus. So if you haven't grown up yet, let me just say, grow up! Come on. Amen? Amen. Amen. My uncle knew what his job was. And he did it. One of the Favorite illustrations of Tony Evans in his book, Destiny, Let God Use You Like He Made You. And I love Tony Evans preaching, don't you? He can really, he can chuck the corn. He can really preach when he gets going. He's good. I like him. His voice gets higher and higher. He's, He's at it, man. He's really, he talks about when his kids were little. His kids are all grown. They have kids now. But when his kids were little, after he got done preaching at his church, One of the things they did for fun time is they would go driving. I'm making quotes with my fingers. Driving. And each of his little kids would get a chance to sit in his lap, and they would drive around the parking lot where it wasn't dangerous. The cars had all left. And they would drive. They would sit in his lap, and they would drive. And they got such a thrill out of that. Their hands would be on the wheel, and they'd be driving. Now, Tony Evans has made it clear since then that They didn't realize it, but he knew he was in charge. His feet were down there where all the power comes from and the brakes are. And his hands were on the bottom of the wheel, their hands were up here. And he would only allow the wheel to be turned so much, so he directed, he guided them turning the car wherever it was. They were having a great time driving, but who was really in control? Tony Evans was in control. The father was in control. I'm going to tell you right now, you may think you're driving your life, but the one who controls everything is named the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in charge. He's in charge. People may think that the battle is there. Here David says, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. I want you to see, just as he was on a battlefield, that we're on a battlefield as well. Would you turn with me to the previous chapter, which is 1 Samuel chapter 16. This chapter has to do with the anointing of David as the future king. Saul had been rejected by God because he was willful. He was disobedient. He had a way of going about doing his own thing without God's approval and working outside the borders of God's perfect will. And so Samuel was directed by God to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem or outside of Bethlehem uh, in that tribe of Judah and they're one of Jesse's sons and they were trotted by one at a time. They were trotted by one at a time and when they got done with all of them except David they said, isn't there somebody else? And he said, yes, the youngest, he's out there, he's tending the sheep. They called David in and the Lord said, that's it. He's the one. He's the future king. Just a shepherd boy. Jerry Horning sings a wonderful song. When man sees a shepherd boy, God sees a king. There was great potential there. God had a plan. God had His hand on little shepherd boy David, the sweet singer of Israel. The young man that was used by God to kill a lion and a bear with a single stone and a slingshot was being honed for bigger and better things. And so even though even though he was just a young boy at this point in time, God saw the great potential. And there he is anointed. I want you to see in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil to this ruddy boy, to this shepherd boy, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You see, the Spirit of the Lord was departing from Saul, but was coming upon David. There was a changing of the guard. There was a changing, a transition of leadership here. God's got a plan, and God's plan is working out. I want you to see on the battlefield, we see David, and he is the personnel that God has chosen, in whom He has placed His Spirit. And you and I need to simply be available. We need to submit ourselves and say, Lord, how do you want me to serve? And God is saying, I want you to be a servant. Just like Uncle Milton was a servant with the bullets flying over his head, going there and rescuing the wounded and bringing them back and tending their wounds. And when the rest of the camp was smoking and drinking and carousing. He was reading his Bible in his tent. I want you to know that God's got a place for you to have a servant's heart when everybody else is tasting of this world and what the devil has to offer. You're not being denied anything when God keeps you from that stuff. God's got a plan for you. He wants you to be better. He wants you to be stronger. He wants you to be able to serve Him, to be His chosen vessel. The day comes when David leaves where he is and he is given victuals, because in those days, soldiers that went out to battle had to provide their own food. It's just a recent development where soldiers and those who are in the military get fed by their government. Usually it was some other way, some other means. Either they had to have their families provide it if they were nearby or they had to plunder, pillage, get what they could off the land. And so he comes to feed his brethren who've gone to war. And they are at a stalemate. They're there in the valley and along the rim of the valley. And there's a giant. He's somewhere between 9, 10, 11, 12 feet tall. You say, is that possible? I believe the Bible tells us the truth every time. And he was that many cubits tall that he would have been 9, 10, 11, 12 feet tall, depending upon the size of the cubit. Big man. Big man. So big, he carried a spear like a weaver's beam. He had a huge shield, and he had that born in front of him. He was just a huge giant of a man. And he challenged everybody from Israel, from God's people, to come out and fight him. His name was Goliath. He had brothers. And everybody was scared to death. Saul, who was king at this time, was still king, stood head and shoulders above the rest of Israel, and yet he was dwarfed in the shadow of this giant. And he was scared too. They were all afraid. Are you listening? When David came to the scene, I want you to see what he did. The personnel, of course, represented on this battlefield. Everybody else is insignificant because everybody else is paralyzed by fear. Are you motivated or are you paralyzed? You know, fear can do Strange things to a person. And all of their training and all of their weaponry and all of their organization, all of their, their order went, was for naught because they weren't using it. They were standing intimidated by one fearsome looking giant. David comes out and he asks the question, is there not a cause? Verse 29. Is there not a cause. Saul tries to arm him. It doesn't fit. He says, I cannot go with these. I have not proved them. I haven't tested them. This is, not, this is not what I'm used to. So he goes out to battle with a sling, finds five smooth stones. People ask why Goliath had four brothers. I don't know that that's the interpretation he was intending to take them all out. They eventually did die. But David was prepared. He had had killed the bear. He had killed the lion. He was dependent upon God. And he said, the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. That's it. Verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. He's speaking very boldly. What is it? First of all, we've got one yielded young man. God only needs one yielded young man. God only needs you yielded to Him. God only needs you to submit to His will, to His perfect plan. That's all God needs. Secondly, our battlefield perspective is everything. How many times have you stood in a place where things appeared to be different than they really were? And as David looked on that battlefield and saw that giant, Until he got up close, he realized this. He was looking at Goliath in a different way, in a different perspective. Don't feel sorry for David. Feel sorry for Goliath. Because Goliath was a midget compared to God. And who did David give the battle to? He gave it to the Lord. Guess who wins? Not Goliath. Not Goliath. God wins. I don't know who your Goliath is. I don't know what your Goliath is. I don't know what you're facing. But give the battle to the Lord. The perspective makes all the difference. And so it says in verse 50, after he, the Bible says slang it, I would not talk that way, but that's, that's the Old Testament word. He took a stone and slang it in verse 49 and it sunk into the forehead of the giant Goliath, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Verse 50, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Do you see that? It's not about swords. It's not about spears. It's not about depending upon that which is material, that which is physical, that which is human in source. How many times? How many times have we thought the battle was lost simply because we didn't have the manpower? And how many times has God shown us it hasn't got to do with the personnel? we got to get the right perspective. Be yielded, be submissive, get the right perspective, see the giant, and prevail by the power of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and nobody looking. And how many of you today... Would say, Preacher, in that message today, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart about something. Put your hand up high. Come on. Come on. How many of you today would say, Preacher, I'm facing some kind of great obstacle, some challenge. It's like my my giant Goliath. Raise your hand up. It's like my giant Goliath. I'm facing a giant Goliath. Yes. Now I want to ask you a question. Who's greater, Goliath or God? Who's greater? Got the victory. God has the victory. Will you depend upon the Lord? How many of you today will raise your hand and say, I'm going to depend on God to defeat my Goliath? Raise your hand up high. I'm going to depend on God to defeat my Goliath. You need to pray that way. Lord, you beat Goliath. You beat the larger, greater enemy because you're greater than all. And I depend upon you. Maybe your Goliath is a disease in your body. Maybe your Goliath is a financial problem. Maybe your Goliath is you just can't seem to make progress. Don't you worry about it. God is greater than your Goliath. You need to claim the promises of God. Get into the Word until the Word gets into you. I'm so glad today I had the privilege of taking this simple, common story and helping to make it real and helping to apply to our circumstances today. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray today from where you are and ask the Lord in your heart, pray something like this. If you've never done it before, or if you're not sure that you've ever done it, pray and ask Jesus Christ to take away your sins and be your Savior. Here's what you pray. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Amen. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake Thee. When in affliction valley I tread the road